Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. So you notice I drew this kind of descending slope. And these are six different morally relevant conditions or states of a person that Aristotle talks about in Book 7 of Nicomachean Ethics. And the ones that he doesn't talk about too much are superhuman virtue, virtue, and vice. Instead, he talks a lot about self-control, lack of self-control, and then something that's translated in some texts as bestiality, but it's better to translate it as brutality. The Greek word for it is theriotes which means to be like an animal, so to be reduced to the level of sheer animality. And we are animals, right? But we're rational animals. And in this, the rational part gets, gets set aside. So why does he distinguish between all of these? Because they're different states, and they don't all have the same structure, they don't all behave in the same way, and you can arrange them in kind of a you know, best to worst. Now, superhuman virtue, the reason he doesn't talk much about it is he says, well, first off, it's really rare. And if you've got superhuman virtue, you're done. You're always going to do the right thing. You're beyond normal virtue. He says it's almost divine. And so there's really not much else to talk about at that point. He's not a theologian, right? Virtue, we've already talked about quite a bit, so we don't have to go into that. Self-control and lack of self-control. Here's where it gets really interesting. So the self-controlled person will behave very much like the virtuous person. When they're called upon to do the right thing, they will generally do the right thing. But they won't do it with the same kind of motivation as the virtuous person. The virtuous person, part of what makes them virtuous is they, they want now to do the right thing. It feels good to them to do the right thing. So let's, let's say we take generosity. It's often called liberality in other translations, but let's call it generosity. If you're generous, and that's part of your character, you want to be generous with other people. You want to give to the right people at the right time for the right reason. You will probably give quite a bit of your, your stuff, your excess wealth away. But, you know, if you, if you don't have a lot of excess wealth, you're not going to give away all the stuff that you have. You're going to have enough to keep yourself in house and home and with all the tools that you need for your work. But then the excess, you'll find good people to give it to. You won't just, you know, walk up to anybody and give them a million dollars, you'll look for worthy causes. That's what it is to be generous. And you'll want to do things that way. You'll have a desire to be that way, to exercise that kind of activity. Now, if you have self-control, but you're not yet virtuous, you will act like a generous person when it's the right circumstances for that. But you won't really want to do it. You'll force yourself to do it. Why? Because you recognize that it's the right thing. So with a self-controlled person, reason or the intellect is functioning the right way, but desire is telling them to do something else. And with generosity, what are the main desires that we have that interfere with generosity? Yeah, you know, we want to hold on to our stuff. It might not necessarily just be desire to, to have our stuff, to enjoy it. It might also be fear. You know, worries about if I don't hold on to more, if I don't save all this, then maybe I'll be destitute or, you know, have to look to other people for handouts. Yeah, go ahead. Like with that then, it's also like another way to look at it is like by being generous, you in turn expect that people to be generous to you. Yeah, you know, Aristotle doesn't have too much of a problem with that. He thinks that friends at least are going to be sharing things back and forth. 
If you were being generous only to get the reward, then Aristotle would say you're not truly being generous. But, you know, that would still be a better motivation and state than just saying, screw everybody, I'm not going to give anything to anybody. And that might be the self-controlled person. Maybe they tell themselves, yeah, you know, it's the right thing to do. I don't really feel like doing it, but, you know, I will get this out of it, at least that other people will give me things in return. Now, if the self-controlled person keeps on doing what they're doing, there's a tendency for them to become virtuous. This is why it's very important to practice virtue. You're not naturally virtuous. You actually have to act like a virtuous person before you become virtuous. So the self-controlled person is at least doing the right thing. They don't really feel like doing it, but they recognize what the right thing to do is. The person who has a lack of self-control, they also recognize what the right thing to do is, too. They have a properly functioning reason. They also have a desire to do something different. But what do they do? They follow that desire. And there's a conflict within them. I mean, there's a conflict within the person who has self-control, too, isn't there? Reason is in conflict with, with desire. But with this person, it's more of a conflict, because you can never really count on them, and they can't even truly count on themselves to what they're going to do in a situation. They might do the right thing sometimes, and then not do the right thing other times. Somebody who has a lack of self-control, let's say, with respect to food, they know that they shouldn't have that extra helping. They know that ice cream before going to bed while watching TV is not the right thing to do if they actually want to be healthy or lose weight or pick whatever else you want, right? Somehow they find themselves doing that. And, and they, they oftentimes feel bad about it. That's one difference between the person who has a lack of self-control and the person who's vicious. The person who's vicious, they think they're doing the right thing. They say, yes, ice cream before bed, that's exactly what I should be doing. Matter of fact, if you're not doing it, there's something wrong with you. And when they see other people having ice cream before bed, they say, there it is. That person has their head on straight. And when they, other people come up to them and say, you know, you really shouldn't have ice cream before you go to bed. They say things like, who are you to judge me? Or you don't know my situation. Or they, you know, they come up with all sorts of self-defense things. But really what it comes down to is they want to be that way. The person who has a lack of self-control, they don't really want to be that way. They're just unable to actually make their rightly functioning reason effective. I think we've all experienced this, haven't we, one time or another, at least with respect to something. So if we go even further to brutality, what's the difference between that and vice? Well, with vice, this part of reason is still in the human being. It's become corrupted, practically speaking. There's something wrong with it. That's why the person has got the wrong general ideas about it. So the greedy person thinks that everybody should be greedy. You know, like Gordon Gecko and his greed is good speech. He's an example of somebody who is vicious. Because he actually believes it, you know, he's vicious. With brutality, or, you know, the descent to sheer animality, the reasoning part of the person is either so damaged or disengaged or just lacking altogether that they've been reduced just to sheer animality. And unlike the other animals that have instincts to rely on, when you remove reason from us, which is what's really distinctive to human beings, we become the worst of the animals. We become capable of just about anything. And so, you know, if you ask Aristotle about cases where somebody is doing horrific things, sometimes it might be because they're vicious, but sometimes it's because they're at the level of the brutal bestial. Yeah. What about, like, people that do things for their culture or religion because they're like, taught that their morals ah. like suicide? Yeah. So that's a good question. You know, I've never had a student actually ask me that when, when I've done this material. Here's the sort of quick answer to that. Aristotle would say, well, those people are barbarians, and you can't count on them to do the right thing anyway, because obviously they're not Greeks. So, he, And he's willing to say, yeah, I mean, some people are just brutal. 
But I think if you sat here and settled down and you said, yeah, okay, put aside all the Greek barbarian stuff, and now we actually want to hold you to this, make this theory really work, and you posed him that problem, he would say something along these lines. He would say that there are cultures in which the understanding of right and wrong can be become very deformed, and it gets transmitted through the culture, so generationally. And it puts people in situations where they're, they think that they're recognizing the right thing, but they're actually recognizing the wrong thing, so that they're more like, like the vicious. Now, when vice, Aristotle says, becomes goes to its extremes, then it actually starts to slide into brutality. The vicious person, Aristotle thinks, is in a certain way still responsible for their viciousness. If you were in the kind of culture where you literally did not have a shot. You couldn't possibly think otherwise than the way that you were brainwashed into thinking with respect to moral issues. Like, should you kill people? Who should you kill? Under what circumstances? Then Aristotle would say that's more like, like brutality. And it's interesting. When it comes to brutality, Aristotle says it's in certain ways less bad than vice because the person is not as responsible for their behavior. They may not be responsible at all. You know, when we're talking about compulsion, if you have some sort of compulsion that you absolutely cannot resist whatsoever to kill people in horrible ways, you're not vicious, you're, you're brutal. And Aristotle would say, well, that person is not actually morally responsible for what they do. On the other hand, he says, brutality is more horrific than vice. Why? Because there's something fundamentally lacking in the human being at that. Something that was human has been sort of taken away from them. Yeah. So would someone who is vicious be conscious that they're doing something contrary to what is right? No, at least not once they're like firmly established advice. They think that, that doing the wrong thing is the right thing. So the greedy person thinks that everybody should be greedy. So would that be ignorance? Or? When it comes to the question of, of ignorance and responsibility, the vicious person is ignorant of certain sort of broad picture general precepts. That's what it means for reason to be corrupted about. But they are responsible for that Aristotle thinks. Usually people get to become vicious by doing the wrong thing over and over and over again. There, there's a question here that you can ask, and this, this culture thing brings it up. We're not all born into the same cultural situations. What if you're born in, into, say, a family where everybody beats everybody up all the time? You're going to have a really hard time distinguishing what the right disposition is with respect to anger, for one thing, and probably also with respect to courage. Probably going to be more on the foolhardy side than the, the other side. Aristotle doesn't think that we ought to have to have like a completely level playing field in order to hold people responsible. It just suffices that they actually could have changed things. Now, if you were in a culture where it's so hardcore that you couldn't possibly do otherwise, then he would say that's more like brutality. I think. And again, he thought some of the people of his own time were like that. Some of the, some of the foreigners were barbarians. I mean, you know, if you look at some of the things that some of the Greeks did to each other, he uses some examples. Like there was a guy, Phalaris, and he made this giant bowl, and it was you know just the right size to put a human being inside. And then you'd put a fire under the bowl, and the whole thing would heat up, and the screams of the, the people inside would go through this, this system of pipes and come out sounding like you know little like like, like music. You got to be kind of a twisted person to think that that's the right thing to do. But that makes sense, don't you? So that level of, of stuff he thinks is, is what we call brutality. And he, and he gives you a few examples besides that. He says, how do we acquire this? Sometimes it's through disease. You know, something goes wrong with the brain, I think we would say. Or he actually brings up insanity. It can happen through habits. And it's interesting because he points out among the habits that can generate this, those who have been abused. 
you know, severe abuse can in certain ways rob people of something that's distinctively human and, and reduce them to, to sheer animality. Now, is, it, is that their fault? No. I mean, they've been just something has acted upon them. But they do terrible things, don't they? Things that we, we want to protect other people from. He says sometimes it has to do with natural disposition. You know, somebody's development could be arrested. You know, there's discussions about, for instance, sociopaths and whether their, their brain activity is different than other people. Sociopaths are people who lack a sense of conscience, so to speak. So Aristotle would say they're lacking that, that rightly functioning reason. And they're beyond vice. They would what about addiction? You know, at a certain point, perhaps you could say that very hardcore addictions could land somebody in this category, couldn't they? Certainly, you know, if it's something that does not organic damage to the brain, to where, uh, you know, think about alcohol, for example. If you really drink a lot of alcohol, you're burning through brain cells, and eventually you start affecting major areas of the brain. And at a certain point, you can't control what you're doing. Before that, you know, you might just have lack of self-control, or you might become vicious. But at a certain point, if you do enough damage to your brain, there's no longer really a you in the moral sense to make those decisions. There's just alcohol and alcoholism driving everything. So, yeah. Is that over like a long period of time, or can it also be an instance where you just drink a lot of alcohol at one time? Well, I mean, this is a scientific question. I don't think that there are cases where somebody just gets drunk once and drinks a ton of alcohol and they become so addicted to alcohol. I think some drugs might be more addictive. I may have mentioned a family member of mine who tried opium once who said he would never try it again. And the reason he would never try it again is because it would, he felt it was so pleasurable that if he were to try it again, he knew he would be hooked. So what was he doing from an Aristotelian perspective? He was actually being very prudent. He was recognizing his own likely lack of self-control with that and the fact that he would slide into vice of lack of moderation and temperance with respect to that, that physical pleasure. And so he, he cut that off with the past. He said, I'm never doing that again. What Smart you, move. Yeah. But what is a truly like virtuous person, like a wise person, recognize the fact that something addictive you probably shouldn't try? Anything? Yeah, a wise person wouldn't, wouldn't mess with, with those sorts of things. Yeah. You know, when it comes to the, the virtue of temperance, there are some things that you can have a right amount of. You can have a right amount of alcohol, for instance. The right amount is not so much that you're falling down drunk, but it might be the you know the right amount for the occasion, which is to have a good time with some friends, right? And you actually, at a certain point, can say, no, no, I'm not going to have another, another drink. There are some things where no amount of it is a good amount. I think, you know, Aristotle, if you were to talk about temperance, and you were to ask him about, say, heroin, or crack cocaine, PCP, or meth, then you were to say, well, what's the right amount? I'm going to go to a party. I want to be a virtuous person or at least self-control, how much meth can I have? I think Aristotle would say, you can't have any, because once you start with that stuff, it's such a, it's so addictive, it's such a steady decline, that you couldn't, you couldn't make it virtuous. He says that about some other things, too, like, for instance, adultery. He says, you can't ask, well, how much should I be adulterous? What would be the virtuous mean? How much cheating on my spouse is acceptable, or would be would make me a good person? He says, none of it. You can't have any of them. How many people can I kill before I'm a bad person? If you're killing people, you're a murderer, and that's already off the scale of virtue. So there's certain things like that that can't be fitted in there. Yeah. It's a good question. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. 
Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.